0: Fast am I, good afternoon, and for the final time, welcome to Perspective. This is the somewhat cheesily titled Best Of edition. This programme has largely been a permanent fixture on Manx Radio since the 10th of February 2019. With the exception of a break from the middle of March this year, I'm sure you can work out why, it's been broadcast in the old Sunday opinion slot from midday until one. And it came about by accident, really. The late Roger Watterson had hosted Sunday Opinion for a quarter of a century, and there aren't many bigger shoes to fill in Manx Broadcasting. He started to take a step back around two years ago, and there were a couple of guest presenters before The Powers That Be decided on a bit of a shake-up. I just so happened to have produced a few programmes around this time two years ago, and by February 2019 I was offered a go at presenting it instead. Almost 21 months later, I can safely say it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. In this programme, I'm going to reflect on some highlights over more than 70 episodes of Perspective. The only logical place to start would be programme number one, Cannabis Laws and Discussions of Medicinal Cannabis and Industrial Hemp. Produced with help from Aaron Ibanez and William King, I was joined live in the studio by the founder of Mother T's Community Cafe, Valerie Miller, and Health Minister, David Ashford. Coming up next is a new programme to Manx Radio. Personalities, profiles, pastimes, past times, points of view and possibilities. Perspective, right back after this.
1: The Nation Station, Manx Radio.
0: Master Mai, good afternoon and welcome to this week's maiden edition of Perspective, your view of the world we live in on the Isle of Man of the 21st century. Good afternoon, Valerie. Good afternoon. You currently provide legal, over-the-counter cannabis derivatives within the current legal framework. What exactly um, is available at the minute?
2: What we're seeing in the marketplace is CBD-based products. Now, although CBD is legal, THC is not But there is um, a standard of what I am led to believe is under 0.2% THC is legal. However, there is actually some confusion around that. So even with CBD, it's, it's legal, but it's unclear. The market's unregulated, so there is still some movement to take um, around CBD so everyone can be really, really clear on how to be compliant with the law and how to make sure the products that are are on the market are safe and they're tested. So THC, um, like CBD, they are both compounds of the cannabis genus. They both um, share the same um, molecular structure, They're both chemically very similar to your body's own endocannabinoids, which allows them to interact with your cannabinoid receptors. This interaction um, impacts the release of neurotransmitters in the brain. Neurotransmitters are the chemicals that are are responsible for relaying messages between cells, which influences pain, uh, stress levels, immune function, sleep, sleep. Uh, amongst other things, so as we can see, these compounds, THC and CBD have a lot in common. Um, what I think the most important difference to to point out is because they although they they are very similar, um, they have a very different effect. So yeah, what I'd like to point out is that THC is responsible for creating the the feeling that we call high or stoned. Uh, it has a psychoactive effect. Uh, CBD does not have this effect. It's not psychoactive in the way that we know THC to be. But this is really the the only difference that I think is worth pointing out at this time, and I think what they what they share is is more important. And both CBD and THC are considered to have medicinal value. However, at this time, we are blocked access from THC. Um, so they're,
0: they're they're both active ingredients in what we might consider as a cannabis product. One of which is. Well, simplistically, one of which is legal and one of which isn't. Yes. I'd like to come to you now, Minister Ashford. Um, We have two consultations on the table for the public to give feedback to. What exactly are they uh, aiming to achieve?
3: So the two consultations we've got, if we take the first one, is the medicinal cannabis so what what we're wanting to do is go out to the public and gain their views on should the regulations be changed so at the moment um, even with the change that happened in the UK in November which was mirrored here in the island you've still only got prescribing at a very very high level at high level consultants and even then it's only for very specified conditions what we're wanting to know is does the public believe that those regulations should be relaxed so for instance there's various options in the consultation There's the option where it may be prescribed at GP level. There's even the option where it may be free over the counter. And also there is an open um, text box option under, under the final part of the consultation that if other people think there's other frameworks they want to see, they can lay that out. The other consultation we've got ongoing is in terms of industrial hemp so obviously we know from across Europe and across the world there is a large economic um, sector developing in terms of production of industrial hemp at the moment here in the island um, the regulations which is under the 1976 Misuse of Drugs Act have the Department of Health and Social Care as being able to issue licences but the intriguing bit is that the licences can only be issued in line with the regulations at the moment we don't have a set of regulations and as far i'm aware there's never been one since the act in 1976 was brought in so we're consulting that if people wanted to see the production of industrial hemp on the island what framework what regulation would they like to see around that
0: that was valerie miller and david ashford speaking to me on the 10th of february 2019 21 months later i'll let you decide how much progress we've made on some of those discussions so that was the very first perspective program and Minister Ashford appeared again on episode two, which was called How to Solve a Problem Like Noble's Hospital. Among a raft of other topics, we discussed the infamous integrated care vision, which looked remarkably similar to a document produced in Wigan Five years earlier
3: this focuses on copy and paste the only bit that is copy and pasted is the overall vision bit everything else tied into it such as the demographic data the public health data the strategies are all manx so there's this absolute obsession being made on what is the overall vision. If this was some fundamental strategy document that laid out step-by-step how we were going to do integrated care in the Isle of Man and it had just been picked up from Wigan, Birmingham, Edinburgh, I could understand the fuss. But when you're talking a high-level vision document, I I don't quite see where the problem is. Um, I, I think, actually, I would hope that what this encourages people to do is go online and actually read the document and actually see what it is.
0: But when you have over half the document word for word identical to one from across, and yes, it acknowledges with special special thanks to Wigan, hmm. but it then says authored by Mrs. Michaela Morris, and it has all rights reserved, you know, the normal kind of legal spiel, yeah. do not reproduce this without permission, it feels like plagiarism well in
3: relation to the all rights reserve that goes on all government publications and at the end of the day this vision document is a government publication including for instance the graphics and everything else that's put in it so ultimately the ultimate author which you have to have someone responsible for a document is Michaela Morris who is leading the integrated care strategy but like I say we acknowledge Wigan Um, there's been no attempt to hide the fact that our vision is in line with Wigan's and in fact you know like I say if we've got a model that's already in place somewhere it's working there we believe it is suitable for the isle of man we should be picking up that vision and what matters at the end of the day isn't the high level vision what matters is the bit underneath it which is the projects that flow off that vision to deliver integrated care on the ground and quite rightly they are all going to be manx 100 percent projects so again i go back to the wet pilot in the west which we're currently running, the Integrated Care Pilot, which I believe is going very successfully at the moment. Um, So that is 100% Manx. And like I say, the strategies that are mentioned within the vision document and referred to, such as, for instance, the young people strategy, the mental health strategy, they are all Manx strategies.
0: I think you can see why people would feel aggrieved, though, when you have case studies with a name in the Wigan document and a a location where they live and they are word for word taken, the names changed, the places where these people are living are changed and they're used as representative examples in the the Manx document. Hang
3: on, I need to take issue with that because what you're referring to there in the Wigan document are not case studies, they're the examples as to how integrated care works. So they're not actually... Real case studies. So were they were they
0: hypothetical? In the hypothetical first
3: place? examples. That's the where, and this is where the confusion's coming in. They're the ones that have had the names changed. The actual case studies in Wiggins' document. Um, I don't think off the top of my head there are any individual case studies because it was brand new them come, you know, they're coming out with the document five years ago our case studies are contained on pages 35 to 37 of the document and they are uniquely Manx ones the ones you're referring to which are the examples are pages 8 to 10
0: but will you concede that what we have rather than being a tailor-made vision for an island community bespoke to our needs is actually the vision of a city a town in the UK which has been sculpted and reshaped to apply to us
3: Yes, most definitely. And as I've said, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if we've got something out there, elsewhere, and it's working, and we believe that it fits with us, why shouldn't we be introducing it? At the end of the day, would people rather that we went out and did everything absolutely bespoke? In fact, I, I, when I, before I was an MHK, when I was a Douglas councillor, one of my biggest criticisms that I used to level at government was where they went out and reinvented the wheel, where they spent thousands upon thousands reinventing the wheel, if not tens of thousands in some cases, reinventing the wheel, when you could point to something and say, well, actually, that's already there and it's working be it, you know, Canada, New Zealand, United Kingdom, wherever, why aren't we looking to do something off that? And as I say, we've got to remember, this is a vision document, so it's the high-level vision of how we believe integrated care should work. The practicalities of that, which are the projects and the strategies that flow off that, are 100% manx, and quite rightly so. I think the bigger scandal would be if we had a tailor-made vision And then all the strategies were just taken from other places because the strategies are the things on the ground and they are the things that need to be tailored uniquely, not just to demographics, but to the individual small communities on the island.
0: That was Health and Social Care Minister David Ashford speaking on Sunday the 17th of February 2019. And that was the second episode of Perspective. They haven't all been political though. The seventh instalment of Perspective is still one of my favourites. I discussed punters, prices, pint purity and the future of the public house on pub politics with a panel of people who provide pleasure across the Isle of Man. On Manx Radio's Perspective programme this Sunday... (sighs) Something a little different. We talk ale on air, pint purity, prices, punters and the public house... In the run-up to this year's Isle of Man Beer and Cider Festival, we speak to the brewers, barmen and bottle-sharers about all things boozy. On Manx Radio, we talk pub politics, this Sunday from midday. I'm joined in the studio by a, a, a panel of booze boffins. Um, I'm going to ask you one by one if you could to introduce yourselves. If I
4: stop. Yeah, uh, I'm Ben Quirk, I'm from the Manx Cider Company, and we're based in Peel for the moment. Uh, John Wheeler from the Two Fellas Micropub and the White House Hotel in Peel.
5: Martin Brunchweiler from Bushy's Brewery. Uh,
6: Matt Cox. uh, I
0: am, for my sins, the the new organiser of the uh, Beer and Cider Festival. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I want to talk, first of all, about about the public house, uh, kind of broadly, and um, booze is obviously available at the the supermarket um, at a... a fairly discounted rate. Pre-drinking before a night out is no longer the exception; it's the rule mm. for a lot of people. Um, has the role of the of the pub changed? I suppose fairly open question. Maybe Martin, if we could start with you.
5: Yeah, no, you're right. It has changed. Um, certainly, in the thirty thirty-five years since I've been on the island, um, you know, there's been big changes, and uh, I suppose one of the main things is that uh, food has taken a bigger a much bigger role in uh, in how the, the way pubs operate. Um, I think the biggest uh, you mentioned uh, the the sort of uh, the big supermarkets, um, how they've uh, affected people's social habits. And to me, the biggest change was probably when um, when it became cheaper for um, for Joe Public to go out and buy um, alcohol when it actually was cheaper than a pub, could buy it wholesale. To me, that was a, a ground-changing uh, you know, uh, event. And uh, as soon as that happened, it, it started to make the pubs. Because there are figures out there which show that the actual price of a pint isn't actually any more than it was 30-odd years ago compared to, the, compared to people's wages. The big difference is it's so much cheaper to be able to buy beer or whatever wine and uh, other drinks to take home. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm not convinced it's a, it's a healthy situation, but I suppose I would say that. Um, Mr.
0: Wheeler, if I could come to you, you've obviously the two fellas micro yeah. is a fairly fairly recent um, invention. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are your what are your views as a as a, a new pair of eyes, perhaps in that market? Then,
4: yeah, similar to, to Martin, you know, it's it's something that you can see with the the prices in supermarkets. It's it's quite a challenge so obviously we tried to create something that was a little bit du- uh, different from traditional pubs and and try and give people things that that they can't get elsewhere and see if that would draw people out to the pub instead instead of at home um with uh, with with cheaper booze and it works to a degree
0: and the the response to that um i mean i have been once or twice yeah. pretty pretty good really for oh yeah
4: community. yeah yeah people like what we're doing it, it is definitely Different and they like to see it.
0: Now we've been joined in the studio by a couple of my colleagues. Aaron Ibenez, the producer of this program, joins us, and Sean Cowper, a colleague from the newsroom, also joins us. Now we've very kindly, uh, Mr. <laughs> have been supplied with uh, rather special beer. Can you tell us a bit about this first of all?
5: Yes, this is uh, a new beer that we've uh, that we've uh, come up with. Uh, Curly, my brewer, has um, he's basically he's he's been um, experimenting for a while now um, using honey. And uh, and this is a. I personally think it's a lovely beer. It's got a, a very uh, uh, a very balanced um, um, flavour of the honey, which you know you it, you wouldn't want it to be too sweet. It would be quite cloying. But uh, I think it, it's a lovely, rich um, a lovely rich brew. And uh, it's uh, we're very proud to say that we it's incorporating 100% Manx honey, which um, it comes from. Uh, a, a, a small producer in uh, Grenaby, at uh, uh, Stan Garrett, who's uh, who are very uh, very proud. You know, it's a proper Manx Holly. It isn't one of these just sort of badged up ones. And uh, no, I think I'd like to think. That, and sorry, and the other thing is, it's going to be the um, the beer which is going to be um, used for um, raising um, the charity.
0: Yes, at, at the, the fe- yeah. beer
5: at the beer festival.
0: Yes, that's right. I was paid to drink beer live on air. Talk about living the dream. That was Pub Politics, first broadcast on the 7th of April 2019. I should add, at this point, you can listen back to all of these episodes as podcasts at manxradio.com. From the homepage, just hit Podcasts and then find Perspective. It's a sort of deep red logo with the three legs of man. So far, on this best of edition of Perspective, I've played you extracts of the first two programmes, plus one of my favourites – I mentioned earlier on that I've had a lot of help and support from William King, who's recently been appointed as news editor at University Radio York, or URY. I have no doubt he'll go on to big things. And when I asked him for his favourites, the number one on his list was the language learning decline – this was first broadcast on Sunday, the 14th of April 2019.
7: This should be a policy or a vision for the future that is the world class education system we want our children to benefit from, that we should seek to reintroduce. French or European languages as standard at a younger age, and that doesn't seem to be even on their radar. And I find yeah. that particularly disappointing. And I think that that is disadvantaging our young people from being able to have the competency in language at um, later, both at the school career and in their wider career going forward into the world.
0: A point of clarification, maybe. So that 2012 change, it means there's no longer obligatory teaching is that right in primary schools of 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 french
7: of french or spanish or anything any any language I i think even manx is optional well, Manx is across all mm. the schools. Manx is provided to all it's the school provided, private schools. but I don't but it's, think it's made...
0: Y- you have to opt into it, don't you? Yeah, you. because
7: the curriculum is with the teachers. My issue mm. with the particularly the modern foreign language, it's up to the teachers, but there's no central funding for that. And previously, mm. it was provided with specialist teachers who had that capability. And you can't say... I mean, it's a bit like music provision. I'm concerned that there isn't mm. a great deal of music provision widespread across the all the schools, because it depends on having the capability, the specialisms... And and the enthusiasm of the teachers within those schools to be able to deliver that
0: I, I, I was lucky enough to um, to be taught French at primary school and I opted into some Manx as well um, a lot of children now then necessarily or won't necessarily sorry have that opportunity as things stand is that was that
8: right or... yeah that's right um, and obviously I love French and I'm keen for people to to learn French but really any language learnt by children at an early age um, is of massive benefit. And I think the problem with um, how the minister sees things, his comment about French not being a modern language, um, well, it's ridiculous, isn't it? it? It seemed pretty current last time I was in, Fran- in France. But um, I think he is thinking of languages from the point of view of a career. He's thinking that people need to speak, that certain people will need to speak languages in order to be able to 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 use them in their career and so i think that's why he, he mentioned mandarin because mandarin is an up-and-coming language because there's so, obviously so many speakers in the world but actually learning any language is massively beneficial um it improves the the mental development uh, cognitive thinking it makes you better at problem solving um at spatial awareness it makes you a better listener it makes you better at um at reading and and picking up whether things seem accurate, so it makes you better your critical skills are improved. it can stave off dementia. There are so many benefits, and I really think that Graham cruje's emphasis and um he you know it would have been great to have discussed this with him if he could have come um his emphasis on what's going to get you a job um and I actually think that any language so I think that whether whether people want to learn french, Manx. Portuguese, whatever they want to learn, is going to be beneficial. But I think Daphne's absolutely right that the government needs to commit to putting themselves before it to acknowledging that it makes better learning a language makes better people. It's not just good for career options.
0: Maybe come one for you, Emma, if you wouldn't mind. Why mm. why maybe has that view come about that um, that French is kind of old fashioned and in inverted commas, do you think?
9: I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of different reasons why the decline in any sort of European modern languages happen because especially with the amount of people that speak English that are foreign over here, I think we're kind of put off and I think we don't see the point in learning a foreign language if everyone else can speak English. And there's actually a, that's actually really unreasonable to think about it like that because on a global level, if we want to go and work somewhere else and there's someone else applying for the same job, the same amount of experience, but they speak English and their own mother tongue, they're already steps ahead of us. So I think it's there's part of that, and I think anyone you speak to of a certain age was say, oh, I hated French at school, I had such a grumpy old teacher. And there's that, that French at school thing, the strict mistress that's making you recite verb tables. And I think there's better ways of learning. Now we're a little bit more advanced in terms of how we understand people learn, and that people don't learn in the same way they don't learn by repeating things, maybe they do it kinesthetically, anything else like that. So, I think maybe it keeps saying, I think, um, mm. that it's, there's a stigma attached to it, and that's what's happened. And there's the influence of other foreign people speaking English, which has discouraged us from it.
8: But it's not helped as well by the fact that um, languages aren't compulsory at high school either. Mm. Well, they're compulsory in the first three years, but then when children get to choose their GCSE options, they have to do English, fine, they have to do maths, fine, they have to do science, fine, they have to do RE. A bit strange. Um, but they don't have to do a language. And again I think it's I think it's because the Department of Education thinks that languages aren't gonna get you jobs and they're not seeing all the myriad benefits that speaking a second language has.
0: That was the language learning decline. William King's favourite episode and one of mine too, I'd say, first broadcast on the fourteenth of April twenty nineteen. If you're just tuning in, we're looking back at some highlights of 21 months of perspective in this best of edition. So far, we've heard the first two episodes, an early favourite of mine, a favourite of William King's. So I suppose it's my turn again now. Following the Chief Constable's annual report 2018-19... I spoke to Gary Roberts and the late Home Affairs Minister Bill Malarkey on Sunday the 14th of July 2019. A question, uh, I think probably for the Minister, um, crime on the Isle of Man has increased and in light of knife crime in the UK we should give stiff sentences for anyone caught in possession of one, uh, a knife I presume, not a suspended sentence as in a recent event. Um, would you, Would you have any views on that Minister?
10: we write the laws but we don't administer them and that's entirely up to the courts um again it's down to to policy and law um if the courts feel that way every case is different uh, and i wouldn't comment on any particular one i think you've you've seen knife has actually dropped last year and it's dropping again there was a i think you've mentioned uh there was a, a peak for a little period um i put that down to being proactive because of what's been going on in london um I don't think we have a major problem over here. Nothing is certainly worrying me and nothing that the chief's coming back. and sort of he's concerned about, as far as I know.
6: It's interesting if you watch what's happened in the UK. So so Brian Leveson, who was the senior uh, criminal judge in the UK, retired a couple of weeks ago, and he he gave an interview at the end of his his service talking about short-term prison sentences. Now, there's pressure to eliminate short-term prison sentences because professionals say they don't work because... There's no time to spend with the offenders to reduce their offending and prevent reoffending. He was arguing that you sh- you should maintain short prison sentences. So there's, there's a debate starting to happen, and that, I'm sure that will happen in the Isle of Man at some point.
0: Um, a question on rehabilitation: um, Do the people involved here? Now, I think this is referencing uh, the, me- the mental health staff, perhaps or, or officers, um, to have to be qualified and capable by reading the likes of PTSD Research Quarterly, for example.
6: Um, I don't know what the mental health professionals. I don't know the the work they do or the training they do. Um, PTSD is interesting because there's a limited ability on the Isle of Man to diagnose it, and there's a limited uh, treatment for it on the island. So, uh, as a, as a as a health service, I know professionals there are very uh, alive to that at the moment.
0: Um, and this is from the from the same messenger. Um, what would you say, uh, I think this is for you Minister Malarkey, are exactly said qualifications to be improved upon, I think that's referring to mental health again Um, what would you like to see I suppose
10: Uh, what would I like to see, I mean I'd I know for the fact that the health minister has taken mental health as, as one of his main problems. Um, I think the budget on mental health is quite astronomical, as well as what they're spending, and it's under the review. Now, I'm not a mental health uh, nurse or, or specialist in any way, so I have to leave it up to them. Uh, we do have to concentrate on, um, on mental health issues. We certainly are at the prison. Um, very much so because we've got more involvement with mental health at the prison. And as I said, we've already mentioned mental health um, professionals being involved with the police. So it's up to them. Not, I'm sorry, it's not really the answer you're looking for, but I'm a politician. I'm not an expert on what's the best way forward. We know that my problem, my, my thing is, we know there's a problem. We have to try and make sure that they're getting the money to help solve the problem. You know, how the professionals deal with that is tied up to them.
0: I'll take one more question uh, for now. Um, can you please put the following to your guests? Uh, John says, I am heartened when I get home on the island from across, in inverted commas, and find passengers being welcomed by one of your officers accompanied by one of their canine assistants. Um, would we not benefit if resources could be made available for every ferry and plane arrival to be met with a drug sniffer dog presence? Um, that, that's that's from, from John, maybe. I,
6: well, I described earlier about the two-week... Um work we did just before tt with customs where we made significant seizures and all all manner of things yes if resources allowed and i was able to uh, assume responsibility for policing of the ports then i would i would relish that
0: and in terms of the 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 police dog provision at the minute um what 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 are levels like? I guess compared to previous.
6: We've gone through a very difficult period with our dog team. Um, we've got three new dog handlers who've, who've recently returned from training in Lancashire uh, with what we call general purpose dogs, and they are they made a fantastic start to their careers. The three of them. Uh, we have another handler who's off sick at the moment. Um, the our capacity and capability isn't quite what it ought to be, but it's
0: on the route to being where it should be. That was the late Home Affairs Minister Bill Malarkey and Chief Constable Gary Roberts speaking to me in July last year. And let's stick with policing for a minute, because one of the most memorable episodes for me was when I met some retired police officers live in the studio. On Tales from the Beat, I heard from four members of NARPO reflecting on their experiences.
11: When I joined the police, a lot of the guys were ex-military. They'd either served in World War II or Korea or they'd done national service or whatever. And the attitude was completely different. Um, if you weren't cut out for the police, if you couldn't deal with unpleasant things, then the suggestion was, well, go and do something else. You weren't going to get any help. I think society generally is becoming far more open to discuss mental health uh, concerns and illness
4: <coughs> in a way that it possibly wasn't the case um, some years ago, which I can only think is a, is a positive thing. Um, Definitely. and it, you know and yeah. it, it, it 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 is something that people need to open up and it was really remiss of me i think before, <coughs> not to mention the role of, of our of our families in, in mm-hmm. that because the, yeah. the family yeah, so. unit around a, a, a police officer sometimes is that first point of call for for support and welfare support and and dealing with some of those issues that you'll come across in just discussing about how you feel because they're there yeah. when you come home from some they of these are. things, mm, and you can yeah. come home quite broken sometimes. Mm. They're the people that are there to support you. Yeah, And, yeah. and John mentioned earlier as well, in the
8: outstations.
12: Yes, yeah, in the outstations, mm-hmm. like Paul Rose, for instance. Uh, my wife used to have to answer the telephone and take urgent calls and relate the call to you and, uh, and deal with incidents sometimes herself. you know. So the wife is a... The family is a big thing with the police officers. Uh, no doubt about that. They deserve recognition... As we do, the the police officers themselves, you know, yeah, Yeah, most definitely, yeah. Yeah. But with with regard to the mental health side, I'm like the rest of lads here. um, We have dealt with quite a few in the old days. As Richard said, you didn't have that; you had to assess the situation yourself, and if you considered necessary, you called a doctor. The doctor came in and made the decision whether it was somebody who needed uh, certifying unfortunately, or whether it was just a case of quieting them down and, and sort them out. But um, you, you gained a lot of experience by being on the beat and, and working with people and you just had to assess the situation as i say call the doctor and, and deal with it we didn't have the nurses like the. i think it's a good thing the mental health awareness now excellent because it really will help the men on the beat
0: as we've um got richard with us i'm going to move on to a fa- fairly heavy topic it should should come with a bit of a disclaimer to listeners i suppose <clears throat> um I think we, we we have to try and touch upon what many people think of as being the worst post-war tragedy uh, in 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 Manx history. I've just got a bit of a clip of audio here just to to, to bring something back. First of all,
12: there's absolute pandemonium
5: here. The summerland is ablaze and blazing down. There's absolute the fire is spreading very rapidly indeed, and it would seem that one of the slot machines has caught fire and started the blaze.
13: Unfortunately,
5: one of the doors in the Summerland building will not open. And
10: it's obvious that the whole place... Have you any idea how it started, love?
13: Pardon? Have you any idea how it started? Not at least...
10: No. Would you have any
12: idea, sir? No
13: idea. No
12: idea.
0: That was Manx Radio's Alan Jackson reporting from the scene at Summerland um, almost 46 years ago now. Um, Richard, you were... You were the first officer on on scene, is that is, is that is that correct?
11: I don't know if I was the first one there. Um, as you can imagine, things were rather confused, but I was certainly one of the first. And when I went into the building with the fire brigade, I was the only police officer in that area. Um, for all I know, there could have been others. Uh, but we went in from the side. We, we came in, if you like, behind the fire because it was progressing across the front of the building when I arrived. So we went in... Uh, from the the manx electric railway yard side of it and up uh, what i presume must have been a fire escape a concrete fire escape inside and um i wasn't told to go in it's just one of those things that you turn up in as an incident and rather than stand around looking useless you get stuck in um so i went in with the fire brigade and um they all had breathing apparatus on of course and i didn't so uh i couldn't stay all that long but i, I did what i could and uh Then got out, but uh, yes, it was um, not exactly the best way to go into a building for the first time because I'd never been in Summerland before that, so I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what the layout of the building was or anything.
0: That was an extract of Tales from the Beat, first broadcast on the 19th of May 2019. So far then, we've heard about cannabis laws, healthcare, the future of the pub, the future of language learning, from the head of police and from former policemen perspectives also dipped into the world of sport not something my broadcastings ventured into much i must say and as a special one-off episode i was joined by guest producer Rhiann evans and a panel of elite sportswomen for women of man in sport
1: we've got to just remember how lucky we are on the isle of man and our children are really lucky because um the opportunities that they've got to participate in such a wide variety of sports is enormous and a lot of uh, schools in England um, are shying away from the competitive element and it's about um, kind of experiences rather than that competitive edge. And children still do, if they're going to be sportsmen and women, they have to get used to competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and we as schools on the island still provide that. And we have inter-school competitions with all of the secondary schools on the Isle of Man weekly. Mm-hmm. Um and that in itself is a massive commitment from um, transport budgets to uh, time to e- everything. It's just it's but it happens and the the students get such a lot out of those fixtures. Um, so I think it's important to remember that we they have those benefits um and then like everybody said that they can have those extra opportunities from um the coaches coming in we 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 can't physically fit girls rugby into everything else that we offer but coaches from Douglas Rugby Club were coming and they were running girls rugby clubs and then from that rugby club that was happening at school they were then going off to Douglas to to play if they wanted to do that and it was kind of an easing them into that situation that they, they might That's have really found difficult mm-hmm. yeah. to get into. Um, we've had a badminton coach contact us that, again, we we don't have the that the number of badminton courts to to offer it to to the number of students that we deal with but the coach will come and run a club and it's like you say remembering that those everybody outside of the school environment are passionate about their sport mm. as well yeah. and for them they want to give up their time and they want to get as many people involved in their sport um as they can and they want other people or you know children to enjoy their sport as much as they do mm. so there's there's massive amounts of opportunities and our job in school is to just um, facilitate as many opportunities as we possibly can for those students and let them sample different sports so that they can pick the ones that really they really enjoy Um, because it's about enjoyment at the end of the day if you're going to commit time uh, regularly to those sports you've got to enjoy it you can't be forced into it Otherwise, you'll just end up hating it.
0: That was an extract from Women of Man in Sport, which for a good while was the most listened to episode of Perspective. But it isn't anymore. The most listened to ever at the time of broadcast is an interesting one. From the 18th of August 2019, time for a fresh debate on cruise tourism. What advantages would it bring having a deep water berth?
14: Well, as you say, I think having um, gone out on that tender Unfortunately, the Isle of Man harbour is one of the worst that I've ever experienced. I'm surprised. I mean, I don't suffer from seasickness, but I've been seasick twice on our harbour. So I understand the difficulties of getting tenders off cruise ships and onto the Isle of Man. So if we did actually... um, have a deep water berth and ships can connect to that then it would actually save money for the for the cruise companies as well so that would be uh, a very uh, advantageous to them I think um For visitors and actually coming off those ships, they can get off a lot quicker and go back on and forth and whatever else. It would just make the whole infrastructure and the experience a lot better because the tendering on the Isle of Man is one of the most difficult. And I am a a cruise cruise passenger myself, having done several cruises, so I've known that you know how um, difficult our tendering experience is.
0: I think at the minute something like I've lost the figure now. I think it's sixty-one percent of cruise passengers coming to Manx waters get off, if you like, and go on excursions around the island. Is it hoped that that figure would sort of dramatically increase if all of the ships could come alongside? Is that is that what you are sort of implying?
14: Well, I, I think the figure would... Um I think, one, you could probably get all of the passions off if need be. 61% seems a a little low, um, but I don't think people stay on board just because there's a tender. Some people will, but it won't be a large percentage of people. I think people um, would stay on board because maybe they've done something the day before or not really interested in this particular stop. We've all done it, you know, just decide to have a day next to the pool, read a book and whatever. But I feel, yes, it would encourage more people to come on board. Or to come on 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 shore, um, but overall this is about actually just providing the service. It's a big investment, but that investment has to pay for itself over a long period of time. But there is there are a lot of concerns about the cruise industry. But I genuinely think the Isle of Man does have an opportunity there, but it has to be the right opportunity.
0: Would it pay for itself?
14: Yes, I think it would I think, in respect of harbor duties, and if we then widen that out in respect of excursions um you know I think yes it it definitely would because we could potentially have a hundred cruise ships in. Um, over a year, even more than that. But we've got to, as I say, it's all about the quality. We've got to make sure that we're not just putting in three cruise ships a day and suddenly finding and then, then we've lost what we've, we could market very, very successfully. It's all about that balance. But yes, it, it could pay for itself over a long period of time.
0: Mr Bashforth said um, that we'd sort of hit our limit in terms of the size of boat that you could get right into Douglas Bay I can't remember the exact figure I think it's about 129 metres long was Mm -hmm. the longest they had somewhere in that region and his argument is that you have something like 200 cruise ships around the Irish Sea this season only maybe a quarter of those are able to to come up alongside so there's, there's a market there already I think is the argument to be tapped into Absol-
14: Absolutely. There is an, an untapped market. And that, as you're saying, I think very, very quickly, the Isle of Man, if it did have a, a deep water berth, it could be seen because cruise ships don't want to go very long distance so you know suddenly going from belfast or dublin and suddenly pop into the isle of man then go into scotland you know it it makes sense so there is an opportunity there um to actually look at this and explore it but it does need a lot of investigation it needs a lot of um thought to make sure we get the right uh, deep water berth that actually long for a long period of time actually is successful
0: how about the environmental impact that's another another argument that's often raised by people who are less keen on the idea. Um, what sorts of work's been undertaken on, on that front? How, how much are you aware about the environmental impact at the minute?
14: I think that's only just coming to the, the forefront now. It's something that, as this process goes forward, it's something that's going to have to be picked up. What is the environmental impact on the Isle of Man by having these number of people coming onto our island um, doing these excursions so we'll be using local buses, we'll be using coaches. All of that impact needs to be considered. I don't have any data with me um, but there is a counter argument. Is say for example we bring in a cruise ship that has 2,000 passengers on it. That's 2,000 people are not flying off on a holiday if they're just doing one around the UK. So it just needs to be Properly assessed, It does need to be factored in, absolutely, because um, when we sat and looked at this, say, three
0: or four years ago, that's completely changed to where we are now. That was an extract from Time for a Fresh Debate on Cruise Tourism from the 18th of August 2019, and that's the most downloaded episode of all at the time of counting. Second in that list is much more recent, almost exactly a year later, in fact. On the 16th of August 2020... I was joined in the studio by Tim Baker and Bill Shimmins to discuss Traversing Elian Vannin. A campaign was launched recently asking for half-price bus fares for students in mm-hmm. full-time education. I'm sure you're aware, Minister, um, and I believe yeah. they've contacted you. Will that be considered? So, a
15: couple of points on that. One is there already are concessionary arrangements for... People in full-time education through the various uh, go card schemes, and I've asked uh, public transport just to just to collate those um, schemes that actually or, already are available, so that we can communicate that out, uh, perhaps a bit better than we uh, than we have, and make the make the uh, people campaigning aware of all those uh, diff- different schemes.
0: So, will it be considered?
15: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm open to considering everything. I I, I passionately believe in public in good public transport, and that's about. But it's not just about price, it's about the availability, it's about the quality of the buses, it's about the uh, length of the journey time um, and, and the, whole, the whole package. We have got a great public transport system on the Alman that stand, stands comparison against any of the bus services uh, el- elsewhere. Um, it's got a balance between the financial cost of it and social inclusion, um, but it's definitely got a key part to play in both accessibility for for people and and also in the climate change challenge. And um, it's very easy to reduce everything to price. You know, nobody, everybody wants things as cheap as possible, but there are financial constraints. We're not doing this in iso- in, in, in isolation. You know, the, there is a price for the service.
0: Well, the, the argument made is that it would pay for itself
15: because... That's a very easy statement to make. And, and you know, it'll only pay for itself if... There's a significant uptake in um, in, in in usage, which uh, counteracts the loss of revenue from those who are already using it. Um, you know, that that's a statement that I've not seen any substance to back it up. Um, very easy statement to make, um, but what I am passionate about is working with the team that we've got in public transport to absolutely make the service the best that it can possibly possibly be, not just for young people but for for everybody.
0: Let's come back to commuting. And uh, for people in the south of the island, some have the option to commute to work in Douglas using the Heritage Railways or have had. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever feel that the Heritage Railways in each of their components are going to be a viable mode of commuting for people? Is that is that included?
15: I, I don't see the Heritage Railways as, as, as a uh, core part of our uh, transport and commuting infrastructure. I think they are... Um, they are great things which i I very much believe uh, are important for the Isle of man um, because important pro- for what though I think primarily for for our proposition as a destination for people to uh, visit uh, because they make us distinctive um, and uh, but also as a, as a great place to to, to to live as well, and they're part of the fabric of the island, but you look at the length of time it takes to uh, uh, journey. On 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 those those different uh, forms of transport, they're, they're, that's not commuting. That's they're, they're journeys of desire rather than journeys of necessity.
0: Mr. Shimmins, you've argued in uh, sittings in Timwald that there isn't a business case for some aspects of the heritage railways to keep going. Is that your is that your main concern? Uh, my my
4: uh, so first of all, I agree with Tim that the, the, Her- the heritage railways are not a commuting resource. I think with the population that we have it's unrealistic to expect them to be a commuter route and they only run for a small number of months uh, during the year. So they are journeys of desire, they're great things, uh, but they're they're not a commuting route. And I think you'd have to see the population grow exponentially, perhaps even above a million, to justify the type of mass transit uh, tram system, electric tram system, because actually they work well in moving large numbers of people through highly densely populated areas.
0: Well, Uh, the, the population has grown enormously in Peel, for example, and there was once a railway line connecting Peel and Douglas... Is that not a viable thing ever again?
4: Uh, sadly, not. I mean, it's it's unrealistic. So the population appeal is roughly five thousand. Uh, it would need to be many, many times more than that to make it viable. The, the other thing I think people just need to consider is that where people work has changed a lot uh, over the decades so a lot of the offices that were in the centre of Douglas are now in outlying business parks so the the actual train routes and tram routes don't go to where a lot of the workplaces are and and they go nowhere near where the high schools are in Douglas so um, they're a great tourist attraction um, but really um, if you look at the cost of putting in uh, a mass transit electric tram it's 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 roughly about 400 million um and you would need a population of i think on the on
0: on the numbers i've looked at uh, in excess of a million to make it work that was a piece of traversing ellian van in first broadcast in august this year and the second most popular episode of perspective ever based upon your downloads And you can listen back to podcasts of all of the perspective programmes in history online at manxradio.com. But to finish, I'm going to pick an episode that wasn't one of the most downloaded and didn't receive the most audience engagement. What's more, it wasn't even my work, really. Following the death of Chris Killip, a world-renowned Manx photographer, I rebroadcast a Sunday Opinion programme from around four and a half years ago. I mentioned at the top of this programme that Perspective had big boots to fill, having taken over the slot from Roger Watterson, and I knew I would never be able to replicate what he brought to Manx Radio. But he's one of the reasons why I got into radio in the first place, and I'm going to finish with an extract of Roger speaking to the late Chris Killip.
16: When you did the Isle of Man collection, was there any political undercurrent there at that time, or were you just looking for people and visions?
13: Uh, well, the Isle of Man book is not about the Isle of Man. It's much more a book about the Manx. So mm-hmm. in the book, there's no, you know, there's no Tesco's, there's no Strand Street, there's no mm-hmm. casino, and there's no motorbikes. So the p- things that people popularly associate with the Isle of Man are not present. But there is, as we both know, in the Isle of Man, another Isle of Man, which is the Manx Isle of Man. Mm-hmm. It's like I'd call it the indigenous Isle of Man, mm-hmm. and that's what I was very interested in. And I could gain access to this when I asked people, "Can I take your photograph?" people would say to me, well, who's your mother and who's your father? Then then they would go, "Now, who's your your grandmother on your mother's side and who's your grandmother on (laughs) your father's (laughs) side? And this would take quite a while and people would ponder on this and then they'd agree to photograph and At the time, I thought, well, do they think they know me be- when they're saying
16: this? Well, yeah.
13: well, in fact, I do think they did know more than I realised because mm-hmm. they knew these people, my grandparents and both, and I don't know, I never knew my grandparents.
16: Well, I've had experiences like yeah. this where you're going mm-hmm. to do something, and I, don't, yeah. I haven't had quite those questions, but I've had people yeah. say to me, which Watterson are you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is the same question. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And,
13: of course, my mother was from the Kronk Quirks, yeah. which was a big help because <laughs> they're yeah. a tribe of people (laughs) Oh, you'll be all right (laughs) then. And my (laughs) grandfather was the Miller and Laxey, which was also a help.
16: This manxness that you're talking about, it's something which is felt more than actually described, isn't it?
13: Yes, it's felt more than it's, it's described, and it's difficult to put a finger on what is Manxness. But my father always used to regard the English as a necessary evil. Do I need to say more on this? <laughs>
16: <laughs> in the visits, and you come back quite regularly, yeah. do you think it the Manxness that you are talking about from all this time past, do you think it's still here? Yes, but
13: I've got to say, I've never been in the casino. <laughs> mm. you know, I don't go to Tesco's. I come to the Isle of Man, and I go to Peel. And then I go and see my cousin Stanley in Coolslew Farm. Then I go to Nyarble. I live in, in an Isle of Man that is not accessible to a stranger, but is accessible to me because I come from here. I keep going back to that. You know, I see Peel as the last stronghold. <laughs> right.
16: But in the UK, of course, the, the whole society is different and the politics are very different as well yeah. in, in the way people react to things too. Yeah. Was your work, would you say it was artistic, to get the picture, or were you trying to document political and social issues?
13: Well, frankly, in the Isle of Man there are no political parties because everybody's a conservative, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's very little opposition mm. to the conservatism that, that, that has reigned in the Isle of Man for the last 50 years. Yeah. I mean, I went to school with Bernard Moffat, and I'm a great supporter of Bernard Moffat. Right. And I think he was, he's been a stalwart for working people in the Isle of Man. I'm in great admiration of all that Bernard's done and tried to do.
16: Yes, but coming back to that Northeastern business, more than the Isle yeah, of Man one. Yeah. I mean, there were clearly very political and social issues rampant at the time. Inevitably. In part of Britain.
13: Inevitably. And when, I mean, I was very shocked when a journalist asked me, which side was I on during the miners' strike? I, yeah. I nearly fainted I thought that they thought I could be on, on the other side mm. other than the miners.
16: So, would you say that the way, you, when you say you compose a photograph, you don't stage a photograph but you go around till you get it right in, the, yeah, in, yeah, in your yeah. mind's eye, would you say that somewhere in, while you're doing that, you're trying to capture perhaps your own political awareness as well? No. You've got to say no, something to no. them?
13: No, what I'm trying to do is make a very good photograph. Okay. And what I've got to do is spend time for people that people will trust me mm. when I'm moving backwards and forwards in front of them, that I'm trying to do something that's worthwhile. Now, I don't explain that to people. But I think people see me trying to do this day in and day out and they get that that's um, some sort of seriousness about this and also they develop some trust about this too. And also I'm visible, very visible, and I'm going to come back. It's not like I'm going to take a picture and disappear. Mm. I come back the next day and the next day and the next day. That makes a very big difference in terms of forming a relationship based on trust.
0: That was the late Chris Killip speaking to the late Roger Watterson, two men I admire hugely. You've been listening to the final episode of Perspective, some best bits. As always, thank you for tuning in and thank you for having me. It's been fun. Take care.